All right, everyone, welcome back. This is vlogcast number 47. And I'm going to keep saying it every week. The season's almost over. I don't know if we're going to get signed by Google. Something's in the works. I've been hearing rumblings on the Google front, but we'll see. I'll let you all know when you know. I know you guys, we're all stick with us regardless of what happens. Facebook, Google, Amazon, whatever. We'll see what happens. But we're on, we're on a new week. Same thing every day. Sometimes I lose days. I don't know if it's Thursday or Friday because every day seems very similar. But, of course, it is myself, Christian Soto, my main man, Big Bet Berkey, in the building. He got his own little notepad ready to take down his notes for the day. Make sure he gets his workout, his creatine in. What's up, man? How are you? You stole my pen. <laughs> That's why you're. I need. Sometimes they say the pen is necessary for the host of the show to keep things going, make it an intellectual talk, make sure that the thoughts get out. You know. How does a pen function? To do all that. It makes me feel smart. It makes me. Feel, <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm back at school. Like. All right. Question. Mm-hmm. I have a thought about this. You know. Were you a front of the room kind of guy? I was always a front of the room kind of guy until I was in college and I started playing poker. Then I was in the back. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but I like the front. The front is nice. The middle is really nice because you get to like peep on people without like really peeping. I was just trying to sit next to the girls, man. That's usually the middle or no, the front. It's definitely usually the front. Sometimes like, the bad chicks be sitting in the front. <laughs> <laughs> bad chicks be sitting in the front. They're All right. Smart. Well, we've made it. Vlogcast number 47 now. This episode and two more episodes and then the season's over and then maybe, you know, there was a lot of talk about a GG might sign us. I don't know. I've been hearing some shit. But um, anyway, pretty, pretty big week for Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. We made national it. headlines Yeah. for allegedly the wrong reasons. Depends what side of the fence you sit on. But... The Las Vegas mayor uh, was pretty much saying, like, wants to reopen to, you know, there's a lot of people out of out of work. You know, she's been around town. Shake, she said shaking hands of people, which sure. is not a great thing to say. She's old. But uh, effectively, she's saying, like, you know, we've seen legionnaires. We've seen uh, all these other swine flu, all, the, you know, all these other things that and we made it through and we never closed down the city. She goes on Anderson Cooper. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Anderson Cooper, CNN. Uh, what, what would they call him? He's like, he's a journalist. Yeah, CNN journalist, broadcaster, interviewer. He's he is CNN. He's the face. Yeah, he's kind of the face of CNN. The uh, Silver Fox, if you will. All right, let's not you know let's That's not call nickname. the guy names. That's his nickname. All right, he's the Silver Fox. All right, well that's a good name actually. Uh, I can see why he got that name. Okay. All right, so he she goes on CNN yesterday or not. Was it yesterday? Yeah. yeah, yesterday. It was actually a 25-minute interview. I saw the whole thing. And then after that, there were – made national headlines. Effectively, a lot of people saying – Jimmy Kimmel's, like, asking her to step down. Um, I know you saw the clip of the highlight. What are your thoughts in both opening Las Vegas? You've lived here now for a long time. You know how the city works as a tourist city. What are your thoughts in terms of opening Las Vegas and the thought of using Las Vegas as 
What was it? The what? control group? Yeah, the control group. All right, first of all, for anybody who's seen even the clip, which is all I watched was two, two minutes and 30 seconds, uh, it's abundantly clear. She knows nothing about stats mm. or math or how experiments of this sort work. She's offering to be a control group, but like controlling what? We would just simply be the first to disobey what is already predictably the best model to slow this thing. Yeah. We're not really controlling anything. We don't have access to more tests than everybody else. We don't have access to know, you know, how much of the population is actually infected versus how much of the population has staved off infection. We only have a, a small insight based on two things, the small number of people who have been tested and the small number of people who have died. Yeah. She then uses uh, correlation through causation in order to present an argument that says nobody's dying in Vegas, yeah. therefore it's safe. That was that was one of her main arguments. It's like, oh, we weren't broken to right. begin with. And it's like, well, the whole, the whole country is broken. Right. We just acted rather swiftly. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as like economically you know, getting people back to work, opening up the, the city in that regard and stuff of that nature. It's like, yeah, in a utopian society, great, but uh, we don't have that luxury. And more importantly, it's a tourist city. Yeah. Opening Orlando, Florida isn't suddenly going to fill uh, Universal Studios in Disneyland. And also, there, so there was two major arguments that I thought were rather flawed. First of all, like to, to say like, if, Las Vegas opens is not as if Las Vegas is not a city where people come to. Right. So what city. you're saying is people come here, potentially get sick and then go back or to, the opposite. They yeah. come here sick. Exactly. Get then, all, get yeah, all the locals, get more people sick right. and then go back. So that was extremely dangerous. And then the second to, to further that point, I don't even before the second point to further that point, they showed her, uh, like a new a new study out of China saying like how people get infected in a restaurant mm -hmm. through the air filter, and it was like okay this person is sick this person is sick and this person doesn't have any symptoms, but this person sitting here through the air filter that of which they're, they're obviously selling, telling her because of it like a casino yeah it's all right? recycled air uh huh recycled air gets all these people sick that are not even sitting next to this person yeah so that and she was like oh well you know that's their problem to deal with. And it's like, well, you're, you know, like that was kind of the whole, the whole thing is like, you're not taking any accountability. Like you're just saying to open, but you don't have a plan. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, the other argument that she presented, which I thought was rather interesting was, okay, well, if one place becomes an epicenter of sickness, like this, like, let's say for example, Caesar's palace, right. Mm -hmm. Then it's, it's a capitalist society. People just won't go there and they'll just go to a different casino. That's clean. And it's like, well, that might take. It also weeks. has nothing to do with you. Wouldn't again? It's it's causation through correlation. There's no way you'd be able to correlate the casino itself with the sickness, right? Mm. It's it's the rapidness at which it's able to be spread. It could be happening anywhere. In order of events of how illogical all of this falls, she doesn't understand that a if the city reopened right now anyway, she'd be doing a big disservice to a lot of these industries. Because they'd be oper operating at a deficit. Mm -hmm. They don't have any patrons. There's nobody to come here and eat and spend. And, right. you know, Vegas is built off of off of travelers and mm -hmm. uh, tourists. Yeah. There's no tourism. The country shut down. 
So opening up is actually a disservice to a lot of these companies. They're at least able to mitigate their risk right now by having everything closed, putting a lot of employees on furlough or, you know, potentially layoffs, whatever. It's unfortunate for those workers, but you're just going to bankrupt a lot of other bigger companies if you force them to open the doors or if you at least give them the option to, right? Secondly, what she's not recognizing is that um, you can't compare this to pandemics of the past mm -hmm. because the main separating point is that there is an incubation period where people are asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. So there is a two week or 10 day or whatever mm -hmm. time frame where you are spreading the disease with absolutely no understanding that you have the disease yourself. Of course. And for all of these reasons, this is why it's such a tumultuous, dangerous disease that we have to take extreme measures to quell. And for everybody who's thinking that like, I mean, one of the funniest, uh, I, it's tragic, but it's funny because it's just Darwinism in motion. And it just demonstrates like how arrogantly ignorant the, the general populace is. But I've seen headline after headline after headline after headline of pastor who says COVID's a hoax mm -hmm. and runs church sermon anyway, dies. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, conspiracy theorist who says that COVID is, uh, you know, not a real thing and insist upon going in public. They dies. had the COVID. They had the COVID challenge in New York City, and the guy was licking the, the you know, where you stand. So on the subway post. Yeah. Oh my god. He was god. licking the subway. He could post. have died from anything. He got COVID. Of course, he got COVID. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, man? He wallowed. Like. <laughs> Like, you're licking the subway? Like, I mean, I get it that people aren't afraid of it because... How much would I have to pay you to lick one of those things? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is like... <laughs> That's crazy, man. I would do it. I mean, it would have to be a lot of money because I would do it knowing full well that I was going to get sick and that my body could handle it. That my right. risk of death is relatively low. And I think people are mistaking the risk of death with the risk of economic collapse. So what I don't think people understand, and it makes sense, you know, people aren't actuaries by nature. People mm -hmm. aren't economic, uh, economists. Uh, economists by nature. So it's like, you know, they're only thinking about themselves and what's practical. They don't recognize that like, no matter what, we are going to suffer economic downturn. There's no getting around it because mm -hmm. either we let this disease run rampant through the country and we overwhelm our medical system to the right. point where resources are completely exhausted. And now we just have a collapse from within or... We take precautionary measures, send everybody home for a brief period of time and say, hey, fucking enjoy life. All those things you haven't had the time to do for a very long period of time, now's the chance to do it. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Not everyone's in the same financial situation. There are millions and millions and millions of Americans who aren't prepared for something like this, who are living paycheck to paycheck and are struggling. And the hope is that the government will step up and help and aid them as best we can. Those who have can hopefully step up in these situations and provide to food banks and other places that can offer resources to the have-nots, right? But this is ultimately our society's maybe first opportunity at a true collective uh, initiative where there are no sides. Like, there's just empirical evidence at this point that suggests we all need to collectively do the same thing. And there will always be detractors, but at the end of the day, so long as the majority falls into the camp of understanding we all have to pr proceed in a very specific manner. We'll survive. We'll recover. And more importantly, there will be some back-end benefit from this that was unpredictable because we were able to stop the capitalistic churn mm -hmm. for some period of time. 
We've been bitching about redistribution of wealth for yeah. infinite periods of time. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that that's a high probability right. because I think what ultimately happens here, and I saw a really interesting interview with uh, Shamath today on, I think it was CNN, um, where he was basically saying like, you know, uh, a lot of these company buybacks and, yeah, and the company all the, buybacks are just crazy. Right. It, it's all just a setup for the people who have been the haves mm -hmm. uh, to further corner markets. Right. So they just they're, they're just throwing money at problems and they're getting rewarded by basically under underpriced uh, mm -hmm. commodities. That's a lot of what happens to like the company buybacks as well as the dividends. So what happens is these dividends like they have a program where you just reinvest the dividend. So mm -hmm. they, they pay the dividend, but then the person just reinvests the dividend into more stock. So the pot, the stocks just keep going up, which is like why the S and P 500 and all these, like the Dow just been going up for like many years. It's like the companies are buying their own stock. They're not, right. They're not just like hiring more workers. Right, they're not right. doing anything. They're just like investing in AI yep. and buying back their stock, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And then the dividends that they do pay out, the companies that do pay out dividends, they're like those programs are set up where the the payouts just get back reinvested into more stock. So like right. it's just a, a constant. It's, it's just constant inflation, right? Exactly. And so like for that, I don't have a ton of hope because that means that there's going to be clear winners and losers, mm. right? That every man just doesn't benefit from that occurring. But I guess what I'm saying is, the longer this goes on, the more disruption that takes place, the more opportunity there will be for potential redistribution of wealth. Be it the Buffets and Gateses of the world who are giving a lot of their wealth to aid, or be it opportunity presenting itself to those tiers below that could potentially rise above and uh, maybe collectively kind of insert themselves into new wealth. And the hope is that like new wealth will be more responsible than old wealth, but it, it's kind of difficult to predict. So the question of like the whole Twitterverse yesterday right was how does a person like this get elected to like a major office like right there's a major city and, and like all things considered like this isn't some city and no Bro, offense to like you know stupid is as stupid does you know the voters in nevada are, tend to be older she yeah. comes from a well, old voters voters across yeah right, for sure uh she comes from a lineage of being born and bred here in las vegas uh, her husband was a lawyer for a famous mobster who probably helped, you know, build Vegas. Mm. So, like, there's just a lot of, I imagine, inside track that she has, be it uh, upper hands with uh, potential uh, super PACs or whatever the case right, may be. Right. Basically, like, there's a fast track for her getting elected. And it's weird because I, I go back and forth, right? She is clearly incompetent, very uneducated. Uh, for the position that she holds. But at the same time, there's no real protocol for what we're dealing with right now. Right. So her saying something stupid. My, my phone's just like getting all the words you're saying. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, but like, so her saying something stupid off the cuff, maybe not very well thought out, is human. It's also, she has to be a little bit nervous, right? It's Anderson Cooper. You're I don't know, man. She seemed arrogant. Yeah, but that, that could be a defensive mechanism. Fine. Like, where it's like, she's nervous, it's Anderson Cooper's national TV, and we know Anderson Cooper doesn't ask easy questions. Yeah, right? I guess so. my point is, is that like, I go back and forth because the instinct is to cancel her immediately. and right. just which say which is like, what people want. Right, and just yeah. say like, this person's incompetent, she should absolutely step down, and we should get somebody more competent in there. But that's a little 
egregious, I think, because number one, we haven't vetted anybody necessarily more competent. Mm -hmm. She actually was vetted Mm -hmm. and was voted on being the most competent. So I think it's a bigger indicator that the system itself is just totally and utterly broken from top to bottom. And that people like, I don't even know her name, but like people like her are just filling public office nationwide, state to state, coast to coast. And it's an inherent problem that is rooted deep within the the pedigree of the United States. Yeah, We need to see massive turnover at the political office level and it needs to happen at a younger level, right? Like you just, you hate to see this, I guess from my vantage point, whenever you see the average age of politicians being like 55 plus, all it indicates to me is a lifetime of greasing palms and, you know, fast tracking your way. Yeah. yeah quote yeah. unquote, fast tracking your way. Right. Well, a lot of, so the notion is that for you to be a politician, you have to have lived. Right. You know, with age comes wisdom. But right. I think that like in the age of the internet and technology, that's, that couldn't be any less true than it's ever been. We're not as tribalistic as we were centuries ago where the elders were the ones passing down all the wisdom because it takes a lifetime to really understand all the ins and outs of uh, optimizing your day to day. In this day and age, like the biggest thought leaders that we have available to us are often in their thirties and forties yeah, and are often much more intelligent and astute and uh, you know, mindful of both sides of the equation than those who are, baked into their preconceived notions and their biases that are living in their sixties and seventies. And I know it sounds super progressive. No, it does. Of course. Uh, so did you see Doug Polk's tweet this morning? No. Okay. He asked for a recall. I don't know exactly the procedure, but that's effectively, uh, he, he asked not only asked for a recall, but is taking steps towards the recall of, so of like effectively, uh, removing her. From oh, remove her. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see what what develops from there. One of the things that I found interesting was that the Las Vegas Strip, and you know, the comments and the people will correct me. I'm not, I just moved here. So like, but so the Las Vegas Strip casinos are not actually controlled by the city. Okay. Which is very weird. It's like kind of like an independent uh, body. So she has no say over what happens on the strip. Really? Which is really crazy. So like when she talks about casinos, she's not talking about like Aria. But she is though. She may not she may not be able to initiate them to uh, open their doors or anything like that, but she's talking about them specifically because the whole reason this is occurring in Las Vegas mm. and not somewhere else is simply due to the fact that we don't have state tax. Mm. So the way this this state funds itself is through, it's through the, employee tax and yeah. uh, you know all casino the casino tax, tax and uh, yeah, all of those things, right? So when these entities shut down, and nobody's spending any money in the state, that means the government's not accruing any money mm-hmm. either, right? Take a, take a look around the next time you're uh, riding over to the office or whatever. See how many cops you pass. Because mm-hmm. they're funding the department. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just pegging people on speeding tickets more than ever before. They're they're allocating a lot of their resources that way because it's their, it's their means of income. Yeah, it makes sense now. Makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. I'm curious how that, that entire thing works of like the strip because she mentioned it a couple of times, like, oh, like I don't control the strip. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was really interesting. Okay. Let's change the topic. So earlier this week we had a nice gig. It was kind of the first time I think you and I had, uh, kind of like a back to back broadcasting thing. Usually it's, uh, just me. 
But we we worked with Gigi and our friend Andre, and we very unique format we worked on. It was cards up, mm-hmm. uh, online tournament with cards up. They both the viewer and us can see the cards, and we commentate over a, a online tournament with Joel Stapleton. Yeah. I thought it was very, I thought it was phenomenal. Actually, I think it was like a little bit innovative in terms of maybe this is something that can work. One, because I think the production cost of for the people behind the scenes is a lot less. And also, I think people are used to like all the online players, especially especially, which is a separate market from live, are very used to seeing online like they're very yeah. used to seeing this platform yeah, yeah and one like one of the things that they review the most is these sunday million replays with cards up and that's like one of their favorite things so this is a very unique way of uh looking at like live poke like live as in its current yeah and but through the online platform so i really enjoyed the commentary i thought actually the play was much better than I expected for a five hundred dollar tournament, uh, but it is GG and it's it's uh, rest of the world, so I expect, you know it was pretty good. And there was some really good players like uh, Kathleen, Catherine Lean or Kathleen Lean, um, Kathy Lean, yeah, Kathy Lean, yeah. Uh, she was there, and I thought she played really well. Uh, that was in know, a five k though, right? That was in the five k. Yeah, yeah. So it was a five hundred, and then after that finished, we went moved on to the five k. Right. Uh, so yeah, of course, uh, you know she's a high roller. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed the format. I, I I think people really enjoyed it as well. And then you were on the day after me. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, I think it's really cool. I think that um, I think there's a market for it because, in my opinion, it kind of like polishes what streamers are already doing, uh, and it turns it into more of a production. But what I found to be difficult, and granted, I'm I'm on the commentary side, so I'm not on the user side. But I would have a difficult time as a viewer giving a shit because it's just a table in the middle stage of a tournament and stuff is happening. But, but it's all it, pretty isn't inconsequential. It, isn't it always a table in the middle stage of a tournament? But it's different whenever you can see the humans, right? You can choose your fan favorite to follow. Mm-hmm. We're just looking at screen names. That's not the case. I think, I, think what, I think the correction that needs to take place, and this is very possible, but I think prior to the tournament starting or prior to the broadcast starting, they should just hand select uh, 10 notables in the mm-hmm. field that they really want to highlight and spotlight, right? And they should, like, uh, at, at any given time, just be utterly focused on them. And maybe it's even more. Maybe it's like 20 or 30. But you have a hierarchy of them, right? So, like, let's say... That's a little bit of what happened, at least with my side. Yeah, like we, we, went we to had Elke and, yeah. and uh, Felipe. Felipe. Right. Um, but the thing was is that as broadcasters, we weren't hyper-focused on them. Mm. We were just focused on the table that they were at. I'm saying like actually shine the attention to these specific characters, right? So still call the action whenever they're out of hands, but largely speaking, uh, try to fill as many voids as you possibly can to painting these characters' narratives, talking about like specifically what their strategy is at the table, giving a little bit more of that blend between a Twitch streamer Mm. and a broadcast right I see, I see. now yeah. now you kind of like have that character development coming throughout the production and you know if we if we pick a long enough list we're gonna have one of them arrive at like the final two final three tables right and that's all you need because which is what happens in the live yeah like the live when you see 
for you and I that have played, you know, the main event, we know that like at least us knowing a little bit about the, how production works, they effectively pick three tables. Right. And then those three tables are, they have major names on yeah, them. Yeah, they're not, they're not random. They're not random. Right. right. They pick three tables uh, based on like how many people are at that table that are notable. Then they create those characters, obviously hope that these that out of these three tables, one person keeps maneuvering their way through the tournament mm-hmm. and then hopefully they caught the whole ride. Right, exactly. Know? And then of course if if enough people bust from that tournament that are notable, they'll just switch to a different table yep. and they just like keep putting the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. So yeah, I see. I think that's I a necessary step in this regard. And more importantly, the next layer is I think that needs to carry over to the announcing booth. Mm-hmm. It gives us something to focus on, which is nice because it's 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 difficult to just like call the online action at the 800 1600 level when there's still you know 350 people left but also it moves so fast like we went from 350 down to 30 in Mm -hmm. maybe two hours right right so it's difficult for us to kind of paint the picture of what's actually happening and occurring in the tournament the bubble was one hand Mm -hmm. you know i mean so like we didn't even get to really get into the thick of the phases of the event but i think having an actual character to spotlight where we can now talk about what his incentive is at this particular point and all of these other types of things, it creates a character dynamic and it also starts to convey some sort of flow to the user at home where they're able to follow along and say like, okay, like this is cool. I've been on this ride with Elky from the beginning. Uh, this is a really meaningful pot because we're nearing the money and should he lose this one, like it's going to be unfortunate. He's going to have a tough time going any deeper in this event. So effectively we're merging this one-on-one streamer mm-hmm. with that person telling their thoughts and yep. their things with now inputting some commentators having some we're just taking like, over that role for them right but also just having a little bit more leeway in terms of other topics and like yeah you know, you know so it's think, like a, think like the Gelfon challenge like mm-hmm. nobody was representing Vinny Vidi in that chat no or in that commentary right right it was solely focused on Phil now that's right. easier because it's one-on-one mm-hmm. But it's not that difficult to get a collection of those types of players. And you can even do things like graphically where uh, there's like a spotlighted player at the table. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, you know, we graphically spotlight them. Correct. That type you, of thing. You, it, kind of a little bit, uh, even on the Galphon Challenge, you see like when it's on one person, that person gets a highlight. Yep. So you could do something like that. Yeah. You know, GG just should pay you a little bit for that. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll talk to Andre. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a really good idea. And also what I find is that through these highlights of certain tables, certain people, other stars are born. Like you, you find that potentially why is her name slipping? But you know, she worked with us uh, recently on poker out loud and she ended up becoming a star from like a WSOP coverage. Minkin. Yeah. Like Kelly Minkin, like the spotlight wasn't on her. I'm sure like at some point she didn't have a big name, but she ran deep enough ended up being in a in a highlighted table and then all of a sudden now she's a known a known character so yeah. that happens you know yeah. where like you're highlighting a certain table all of a sudden a separate star is born from that table and now there there are no names so and i think that'll be natural in this because you know like i said your hand your cherry pick people aren't going to win the event so like as you get down to two tables one table uh and a winner it's going to be pretty easy to kind of like pick up and highlight the most notables at that mm-hmm. point so the narrative just kind of changes a little bit. Okay. Is this something that you will enjoy continue, potentially continue doing something along the lines of commentary online like that? Or was that more like 
let's try it out. I'm free today, kind of thing. Um, I we know I, you're we know you're so busy, Berkey. You know, I I I I'm okay with it. Like, I don't love doing commentary. I guess. Mm. Um, I enjoy talking about poker right. in public forums for sure. And working with Stapes is just like so easy. I mean, he just makes like your life so easy. He's Not doing- for me, man. I had to pick out his favorite five 1995 movies. <laughs> I didn't even know any movies. I don't movies even know if you were alive at night. Bad Boys was one of them. Yeah. Well, he didn't like that one. Mm. All the movies he liked was really weird. Get Shorty. Was that a movie? Yeah. i never seen it. It's, <laughs> I could see him liking that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, like he did 80% of the legwork. Mm-hmm. And I'm just there to fill in the gaps of like, oh, well, this is probably what's happening here strategically. This, yeah. that, and the other. Uh, so like, yeah, from that standpoint, it's pretty enjoyable. It's not like it's hard laborious work or anything like that. But you know, I'm not super into watching online poker and dissecting a bunch of spots in a $500, 500K. What if it was a $10,000 tournament, Maverick? That's a little different. You now know. we know everybody. Now yeah. it becomes a little bit less of a challenge on production to spotlight one player because everybody's kind of spotlighted. Well, you know why I bring this up? I don't. You have a new show. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. That's right. It's uh, it's either hindsight twenty twenty or twenty twenty hindsight. I'm not really sure exactly. <laughs> I like the former, but it's twenty twenty hindsight. So it's twenty twenty hindsight news show. I saw your name at the bottom left of the screen. Mm. You know, it said twenty twenty hindsight. Yeah, twenty twenty hindsight with Matt Berkey. Yeah, you know. Sometimes I feel like they use them with Matt Berkey because they can switch that out. Really yeah, fast, you know, hundred percent. Yeah, you don't want to get too yeah, attached. Yeah, it's just like, oh, with anyone. Like, right. <laughs> season two. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, so you have a new show. I actually have been with you along a little bit along the ride in the back end, seeing, you know, the hands you're picking out, how you're like thinking about what you're going to talk about and things like that. But I want your take on how they approached you with this idea, your initial thoughts on, you know, were you ecstatic to have your own show you know <laughs> no um but i think it's a really fun show you know the first episode you know you and i privately had some discussions in terms of how things could get better but i think it's a good idea yeah, yeah. and what i you know we could talk a little bit about the, the poker go strategy moving forward in terms of like you know they have all this content that they want that they need to uh you know use all this film right but they reached out to you to dissect past wsop main events and what mistakes people were potentially making and also some maybe good ideas that the players had on strategically. So go ahead. Yeah. So I think that, uh, well, I think first we have creatively different ideas of like what this should be. Um, I think they kind of pitched me on the idea of it being like first take where it's like, I'm either Max Kellerman or Stephen A. Smith and I'm just giving fire takes as far as like what's changed over the last 10 or 15 years, yeah. but in a very critical way. Right. But that wasn't necessarily the way it was framed to me. The way it was framed to me was just like, you know, when you do commentary over these final tables, you have to be very mindful that their families are watching and it, like you want to always be kind of pedantic in the way that you approach it and ensure that you don't. Pedantic. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to look it up. Towing the line. <laughs> uh, but you, you basically, you don't ever want to say anything that is so critical that people would be. Damn. Can't use that in a sentence. Can you? <laughs> I just did. Uh, what? <laughs> Go ahead. 
Okay. 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 Go ahead. The fit? Are you good? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but effectively, like, you know, you don't ever want to say anything so controversial that you upset the, the person out there making the decision. Obviously, mm. they're gambling for their own money. Yeah. Like, who are you to criticize? But in this retroactive look back, I guess, um, or reflection back on old final tables, they were basically just like, let's just add the layer of it's X amount of years later, things have changed. And through that lens, uh, let's basically pick out all the flaws. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not dramatic that way. So like for me, I'm just like, okay, so like we want to approach this from like a training video type of right. mentality where it's just like, here are the lessons that can be learned from mistakes of the past. And I think that we are kind of two ships passing in the night as far as like what that looks like. So on the, the first episode, um, it was really hard. It was really difficult to watch the playback in real time and try to keep my commentary synced up with the actual production that I'm watching. So basically right. like I was challenged to just kind of do this as if I was a live broadcaster. But the, the issue is that I don't have uh, a play by play guy with me. Right. So I found myself like slipping back and forth between the two roles where I'm doing play by play, then I'm doing analysis and I'm constantly trying to juggle this uh, moving forward. I think we're going to streamline all of that. And I think I'm just going to take a hard nosed strategic approach where I'm just pulling out the most uh, important decisions and talking about them at length and then utilizing the other periods of time to just kind of like give some history. So like the next one I'm doing is the 2003 main event, right? which is major, so much fun, man. I mean, there were just like so many things that happened at that final table that are yeah. just like funny to kind of see now. Right. But also made a lot of sense for the time. I mean, I was, I was with you yesterday watching and it was like, wait, what, what is that? Didn't Dan Harrington? What? Like, you know, yeah. so it was, uh, it was really interesting. And of course that's a major final table that kind of started the whole, you know, many, many of the reasons why a lot of people even play poker. Not me. I was a Tom Dwan baby, but other people are money right. maker babies, but yeah. So talk to me a little bit of how that even like began. Like what was the, when they reached out to you, what was the, what was the plan? So I think what it is, is that, you know, kind of to your point, they have all of these archived footage mm -hmm. that they can utilize and utilize in a, a pretty productive way. And I know that they've been playing around with this. Uh, they've been doing some of the uh, rewatches with Remco. Yeah. That's kind of fun. But I think that, you know, they want to add a strategic element. Obviously, tr poker training is a market mm -hmm. and currently they're not really tapped in. So I think that they wanted to kind of like add that layer to some of the content they're doing. And, you know, being good friends with Brent, he, he thought of me first. Uh, this kind of mirrors a product that we have on our site, which is high-stakes yeah, hand review. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to kind of try to approach it more from that vein where I'm just being analytical about the spots and then adding some anecdotes along the way as far as, like, the players that I recognize. So how many episodes are this, is this season? Uh, this season will be six. Six episodes. So each highlight one year of the WSOP main event. Yeah. Uh, leading in like final table. Yeah. No, in no particular order, just right, like in right. order of interest. Okay. Perfect. So yeah. So I, I, I did watch episode one. I thought, I thought you did a great job and I'm looking forward to the episode two. And especially if it's going to be very s succinct with a product that we already have, which mm -hmm. is high stakes hand review. Like I think people will be able to get a glimpse of like how you approach a hand history review and then are able to go on the software YTV site and say like, Oh, I really enjoyed the way Matt Berkey 
broke this down. Let's see if he could break down some high stakes cash. You know, with Andy, everybody's favorite player. What do you think about Andy? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about Andy from Live at the Bike? <laughs> yeah, literally every every fucking day. You know. Okay, so I think he's great. I think he's a. Uh, I'll say it right now, man. I think he's better than Garrett. What's up? Somebody come at me. I don't care. I think he is. What's up? Uh, all right. So last topic. Well, two more topics actually. I'll let the people uh, breathe a little bit. We both won a tournament same on the day. same day. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. They, they thought we never, never do it. They thought we would never do it. Unfortunately for me, <laughs> they didn't get to see me win the tournament. Yeah. Like, it cut off. I did one of your things. They were like, I, I got, I got a bunch of messages like, "You and Berkey don't know how to end the stream." <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I hit end stream because it was done, yeah. and then I didn't realize that you have to wait until the delay's over. I really wrecked that guy too. They didn't even realize it, but it's okay. It's all good. And then you won uh, the fifteen thousand dollars guaranteed turbo uh, yeah. to start the day, which is really cool. Um, the fact that we both won a tournament is kind of nice. Uh, Beat Mister Altman heads up. Tough player, tough player. Brian Altman, Alti came F- back from a baby. two to one chip deficit. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, what are you looking? What are your plans for online uh, tournaments? Are you going to play or stream this man. week? I don't know. Um, I really want to consistently stream two days a week. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I struggle with it. Cause like we just have a lot on our plates that kind of fall on the same day. It'll be easier once homeschool ends, yeah. which by the time this comes out, homeschool will be over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd prefer to be streaming either Tuesday and Sunday or Thursday and Sunday. But like, you know, Tuesdays I record Hinds- uh, 2020 hindsight and Thursdays we record the vlogcast and yeah. you know Sundays is a huge day so it's like Sundays I can always I can always do but I don't know I do want to keep up the streams uh, because our YouTube content is coming to an end I think we only have one more episode of uh, Poker Out Loud and then one more episode of One Second Thought so those shows are going to go dark for a period of time what are your thoughts on releasing season two of poker out loud on youtube i don't think it's necessary yeah i don't like turning content we've already massively discounted Mm -hmm. uh to ten dollars a month to free i think that like you know it's a disservice to all of our paying customers first of all but secondly it's uh unnecessary content for youtube but the people would see how good you are no, I got wrecked in season two. Oh, you did? Okay, we'll release a season that you I'm the odd on. guy. You're the even guy. I realize that now. Yeah, yeah one, yeah. three, five, I do really well. Two, no, I did, I did four. Oh, I'm the even guy. Yeah, you're yeah, the yeah, even yeah. guy. Okay, yeah. yeah, two and four, you wreck. Yeah, and I get it. This is why we work together. <laughs> Someone's got to rep the brand each year. Yeah, it's like, okay, like you guys think we suck? Here you go. No. And then the next season's like, oh, he sucks. And I was like, oh, man, he's good again. <laughs> um, okay, so that's cool. So let's talk a little bit about poker strategy. We just finished. I had to let the people wait. They have to watch the whole show, and then they could get a little nugget of information. Mm. You know, that's how it works here. So this will be what we title the the actual vlog. No, nah, we're definitely gonna title it something about the Las Vegas mayor yeah, because yeah. that's what's getting all the hits. That's you know? true. Okay, so we are wrapping up homeschool this week. Actually, it is by the time the the people see it, like you said, it's gonna be done. Uh, the last official day is Friday, but there is going to be an office hours potentially on saturday so i it was interesting because last week i was like oh i'm so happy with like you know they're all like so good at poker and like they get it and then this week i'm like are they what's gonna happen with them you know (laughs) (laughs) so 
Uh, I think this week was the week that they were like, oh, man, poker is really hard. Yeah. You know? And I realized that that's the case because it gets harder and harder each street. Yeah, we added streets this Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, they they all got it on the flop. They're like, oh, okay, just only play these 26% of hands. And then we only have those. And then we could just third pot the flop a lot. Okay, I'm good. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, there's a turn. Right. And now there's a split. Yeah. And then you have two another more bet sizes with double sp- with more splits. Yeah. Which now land on the river with more splits. Right. And the truth of the matter is, is that we kept it simple. Yeah. Like you and I, when we discussed it in terms of, oh, what are we gonna do? Like, how are we gonna teach this? Like, I was throwing out ideas, and you're like, no, that's too hard. And it's like, oh, you're gonna be there for seven hours, you know? So I think yesterday when I did my lesson, I thought it went really well. Um, and the truth of the matter is I even had a lesson where you, where I had to like move because like they weren't following, you know, but that was more on me than on them. But my point to you is now like, okay, after your experience with homeschool, like what are your thoughts in terms of how to teach poker and where are people falling by the wayside and no shots at some people, but. I think, you know, you sent me a hand this morning and I was like, man, people are just not like even the best players are just like not understanding where they fall in their range, you know? Oh, yeah. Like. Yeah, I mean, the the hand example that I sent you was just like, that's not a thing. Right. And this is a highly respected professional who I don't think makes very many mistakes. Correct. But like, it's just abundantly obvious. The line taken is just a bluff. Right. Um. I think that what I'm starting to understand is, and I think I always internally understood this, but it's becoming apparent to me now when dealing with a class of 100 where the uh, spectrum of comprehension ranges from coaches. There are coaches in this course all the way down to blatant beginners. Recreationals. Yeah. So... What I notice is there's obviously a massive gap between the the top end of the students in this course and the bottom end of the students in this course. But that gap is a crack compared to the cav- compared to the canyon between us and the top of this course. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to like Boast. bolster us or, or anything like that. It's just the difference between the best student and the worst student in this course is just understanding relatively simple concepts by comparison to how nuanced this game is when it comes to blockers, pot odds, minimum defense, uh, you know, basically the, the infrastructure of betting, mm-hmm. right? I would say that that's the sole separator is the best student in this course understands betting structures pretty well. And the fact that a range is attached yeah. to their betting scale. The worst student in this course, that's too difficult, right? But like... Or was too difficult. Yeah, perhaps was too difficult. But the worst student in this course can get fast-tracked really quickly to not that far behind uh, the top of the course. Now, the top of the course is going to have a trajectory that is really, really great, but it's going to take a lot of critical thinking and Mm -hmm. hard work to actually see it through. Because they're already at a fundamental level where they're winning, for sure. Yeah. And on top of that, it's happening rather simply. 
right? So it's happening because the people in their environment are the rest of the spectrum of this course. People who don't understand betting structures as well, people who don't think in terms of range, people who don't understand either of those things and are just reactive, right? That's who that top tier student is preying upon. But if they actually wanna to get to the point where they can literally sit in any environment and ensure that they're a winner, mm -hmm. there are miles and miles and miles of strategy to cover. Yeah. So what I basically understand is first and foremost, 80% of the best training in the market is 99% too difficult for the community. So it, that, that like the best training in the market is targeting like 1% of the community. Like I subscribe to run it once. Mm -hmm. It's targeting me. It's targeting people like me. It's targeting those who are capable of teaching strategy otherwise. I would say I obviously watch a lot of multiple different platforms, both for my own nerdiness as well as I'm always shooting my shot at these motherfuckers. That's what it is, really. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm coming. I know what you but uh but generally what's happening in these in these uh other videos is that they say things, but you already need to have a lot of information to be able to parse through what they're actually saying right. because they don't have the time. Like each, each, uh, effectively, I've already know this now. Each run of one's video is capped at 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. You can't go over to that. So they, or else it goes to the next video, but they don't have enough time to like say everything because right. they have to dig through many right hands. so nothing is teaching the first principles that's why it says targeting one percent mm -hmm. because they're actually teaching to the minutia they're teaching to very specific spots saying like okay mm -hmm. let's take a deeper analytical look at this and you know in all actuality I, i'm not trying to devalue the product but in all actuality it's going to bolster you like maybe one percent mm -hmm. because you're already going to be to a level that is so good it's really just now looking through the site, like combing through the entire site and saying like, okay, who are the handful of coaches that are better than me that I can learn from? Right, which is effectively what I do. Right, and I'm eventually saying. it's gonna become fewer and fewer and fewer, Yeah. right? So the issue with that is now everything else that you, you find on that site is just noise. Correct. And it's just a regurgitation of the same first principles in minutia over and over and over and over again. That's why the model works so well. They'll never run out of things to talk about mm -hmm. because they're constantly reiterating maybe four or five first principles of no limit hold'em in a new specific example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so far over the head of their collective audience that they just understand they're hearing something smart over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So they keep tuning in. Yeah, that's really what it is. It's it's interesting. Uh, the the best videos are weirdly the least popular which are effectively sauce breaking down one hand for 40 minutes and going through each individual like node of how he thinks of each node on in the game tree through this hand even that is only one hand but at least he's breaking down all yeah. of his thoughts but the most popular videos is the live play from sauce where right. it's just, just like sauce is playing two tables of zoom and just like like just there's you know, a reason for right. that though that allows people to circumvent Mm. They can just look and say like, okay, I'm going to replicate that. Yeah. And honestly, that's probably where the, the majority of the audience derives the most amount of their value is there is a replicable or what appears to be a replicable template that they can copy and now go out and make money. Mm -hmm. And in the short term, that'll actually work. But what's actually happening behind the scenes 
is sauce is constantly evolving. And if you look at a play and explain video from 2016, right. and then another one from 2018, and then time. another one now, you're going to see contradictions along the way, maybe even cyclical ones. Maybe something he did in 2016, he found to be negative EV or or the lower EV line yeah. in 2018. But by 2020, he realizes that he was actually right in 16 for totally different reasons than he originally thought. And he also... He also says things like, you know, the meta and the game and the, the meta in today's game doesn't allow me to do this certain thing anymore. Mm -hmm. So he's he's definitely in tune with the environment as well. So that brings me kind of full circle in. I was asked this question last night as we were wrapping a four and a half hour lesson. It was what is my next step? Like effectively, OK, this is over. I, a lot of them asked me specifically because they were like, oh, we know that like when Black Friday happened, like there was no more poker and that was your time. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of them are saying, OK, this is their time. Right? right. And I'm like, OK, well. Your your moment, right, your test, your your the moment you get battle tested after this will be WSOP likely in the in the fall now. Right. So you have May, June, July, August, September. We expect probably it'll be in October. Maybe. Well, let's at the earliest. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So probably in October. So you have roughly between five and six months to make sure like that you're ready for that moment, right? To capture that moment, right? So it'll be your your Eminem lose yourself moment, you know? Sure. Um, and that was that song was fire. But it, effectively what I said was like, okay, like how I would approach this, and I'm not sure if you would agree with this, or at least you have a different method, is I would go through the slides without audio mm -hmm. and just say like, can I teach this to myself? Right. And just say, okay, I understand this. And just in your mind say, I understand this, right? Right. What you understand. And then the moments that you don't understand something, that's when you turn the audio and say, yeah. okay, let me, let me walk through this. I think it's and, really good. Advice. And then when you turn off the audio, like when you're done with that and you think you got it, turn off the audio again, do it all over again. Make sure you can teach it to yourself. And then once you think you got it, then you turn on some, and this was like when I wasn't really sure. Then you turn on some like live streams of like maybe potentially early, early play high rollers and say like, okay, they're following their incentive here. Like with this hand because of this, 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 and that potentially you see some errors, both from some players or some businessmen. And then you start breaking down what are those errors and why. And then by then I think you can potentially be pretty pretty tough and then you'll you'll be able to implement probably maybe in a small scale yeah. online or by wsop i i think that's really great advice i i think it's a very clear path too for those who are willing to take it on the problem is i think like of the 100 people 20 percent are willing to put in that level of pain and that's what i struggle with because i don't think you can be any more clear and concise than what you just offered and if you want to make it simpler you could just say like, go through each principle that we taught you and apply the scientific method, right? Mm -hmm. So start with lesson one, go through the slides and now let's examine it through the scientific method. What's the hypothesis we're presenting? Is it testable? If yes, test it, right? Run solves, play, see, whatever. Get some sort of yeah. feedback, even if it's not necessarily objective feedback, just get some sort of feedback, right? Then examine the feedback, say, uh, you know, is this what I expected? If it's not and it contradicts, how does it contradict and why? And then go back and run through the cycle again, right? Yeah. 
and what you're kind of doing is giving them an actual uh, tangible methodology to applying the scientific method. It's go through the slides, try to teach this to yourself, run through some examples. The second you get stuck, defer back to the audio and then invite, you know, continue forward. And now the testing phase actually becomes like, okay, you're an objective observer, critique other people's play that are clearly better than you. Yeah. Right. And see like what they're doing well and what you objectively think they're doing poorly, even if you're wrong. Yeah. Right. And now you can go back and test those spots. Exactly. And all of that becomes like a pretty critical way to getting better at the game. I think those who are willing to take on that level of pain will see a massive spike in their comprehension of this game in six months. But I think, like I said, the the likelihood of people doing that, I would say there's maybe five to 20 in the entire group. It's painful, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of commitment. It's a lot of commitment. It's a lot of hours, but I think it could be done. And, and if you were, you know, if you were, and I'm going to, I told them this too. I was like, I was like, it's hard. I was like, I, I told them if someone told you that by WSOP, you're pretty, you're pretty good. I told them that that probably takes a lot of commitment, right? And you have to do it. And I told them if I can do it, like if I can go from this point right now to November and win this bet, you guys can fucking be good at poker and learn this, learn how to teach this course by November. So I, I don't know. I think I think I have confidence. I am debating back and forth of taking a couple people potentially under my wing to do it. And but I don't know. It's a lot. It's also a lot of commitment for me to and a lot of pressure to get these guys good by WSOP. But I, I'm excited to see the ones that are willing to do it, how they go about it. Yeah, I mean, I think even if you're willing to be a guide in all this, uh, even if you're being paid for like one-on-one coaching, I think one of the biggest things that would make you an asset is to be as hands-off as possible. Right. So like you just become the the kind of like critical checkpoint mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they're not sure what they just saw or they're uh, not sure that they're correct in their observation. And then you can help walk them through it and discuss it. But like, if you're actually the one laying out, like, okay, right. this is the pro- this is the stage you should be at. This is what you should be comparing it to. This is what the the next level. You should have to do that in a very broad way so that they have a path. Yeah. But you shouldn't be there every step of the way, saying like, "All right, like, how have we been doing with the slides? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and where are we at? You, you know, you can only hold somebody as accountable as they want to be. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Berkey. Well, I thought this episode was fantastic. I feel like Google is watching us. Mm, and Google is definitely watching us. Yeah, they're watching us and they... Uh, Not hope. just us. Yeah, they're watching it all. They're watching everything. They, they, Apple too. They started writing down your your entire speech. Mm-hmm. It was just popping up on my phone. Yeah, they're going to create a master class out of it. I didn't tell them to do that. Yeah, they probably are. All right, well, I hope you all enjoyed this episode number 47 of the Solve for Why vlogcast. Of course, it is myself, Christian Soto, Big Bet, Matt Berkey. Subscribe, like, leave a comment. James B, don't leave anything. I know you hear this. And with that said, we're out of here.